This is a classic podcast from Unqualified Gamers. Hear more at unqualifiedgamers.com. Hey, have we ever have we ever opened a podcast with dubstep? Have oh we done my god. I was sent a link by someone. I don't remember who, but it's my new someone best. Who shall be remained nameless. I don't even know who it is, but they sent me a link to a to a 24-hour dubstep radio station. Uh-huh. They took clips of President Obama speaking over the years and set them to the tune and lyrics of Call Me Maybe. I have I've heard this. And then dubstepped it. Can yes. it get better? Is it possible to top that? No, I am totally in for the idea of having a dubstep president. Me too. I wish there were dubstep video games. Oh, come on. There's going to be dubstep in video games for the next year. Easy. Yes. Well done. Well, you know, it's funny because you said I don't think we've ever opened the podcast with dubstep. We've never really opened the podcast. I guess we really haven't, have we? I mean, you have. I, I have not participated in that. Hey, listeners, you found your way. Hey, listeners, you found your way. Yeah, it's not working. Oh, I thought you were waiting for me to jump in, which I wasn't going to do because I don't, you don't open podcasts. I don't open. I don't open, John. Girls open me. That didn't what you just said didn't make any sense. Hey, listener, you found your way to, uh, to what's this thing called? Unqualified? Is Unqualified. That Unqualified, a video game podcast where two people that don't have any qualifications to talk about video games talk about video games and apparently women opening you. We actually don't have of... any qualifications to talk. That's true. Uh, I'm Jonathan. This is my co-host, Ruiner. What is your name? It's, it's Cody. I wasn't going to help you. Until you asked specifically for my help. And Cody. John Cody. Cody is my name, and Fez is my game. How was that for a transition? So you talked about Fez on a, on a previous episode. Wow, that became a lot of things. So, yes, I played some of Fez. I teased just the tip. Is what I would say. Okay. Uh, and I beat Fez, and now I have completed it. Uh, your thoughts? Okay, so, again, I have not played this game. I have only heard other people talk about it um, in other various various forms of media. And from my impression, you don't beat Fez. You, like, play through it once, and then you play through it, like, seven more times or something. I thought I was under the impression that the game is not over after a single playthrough. Um, it's not, but I have no desire to continue playing through it right now. And, and but it's, it's over for you. It's not over for me. It's taking a break. Here's the thing that I learned about Fez. I, I talked in the last podcast about Fez and mentioned, like, there are games like Mario Galaxy and other games that play with your perception or play with puzzles in such a way that you reach a point and you have these epiphanies or realizations and revelations and you think to yourself, that was really cool. Like, I didn't expect that to happen. It, it creates just this niceness in your brain. It's just, you kind of get off on it a little bit. And Fez didn't do that for me. And it didn't 
it continued to not do that for me throughout the end of the game. I think there was there were maybe one or two moments where I'm like, oh yeah, I got that puzzle good, but very very minor. Now again, the the main mechanic of the game is it's a side scroller. It's a it's one of these newfangled games where you can't die. Is there a name for that? Just Dumb? Ev- every indie game these days. Well, no, <laughs> K- K- Kirby's Epic Yarn, you can't die. Fez, you can't die. Braid, you can't die. Well, you can die, but you rewind it. So you- there are a lot of games these days where you can't die. Well, that's the idea that I think fail states are, are kind of... Uh, 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 they're a concept that's going to... That- you know, video games are kind of moving away from because the whole point, the, the original point of fail states were to get more quarters out of you in the arcade because video games only existed in the arcade space. So there was a reason to have a game over. But now that, I mean, that's such an antiquated notion that with like a good checkpoint system, that kind of thing, there's really, it, it, it doesn't really matter. Those are kind of a thing that are, games are moving away from fail states like that. That makes sense. That makes sense. I, I feel like there's kind of a lack of danger, though, when you know you can't die. Well, sh- well, sure, but then it's up to the game designer to create a game that doesn't require death to be a mechanic, right? Yeah, that makes sense. I guess. I don't know. That's. A, I guess it's kind of another conversation, but you can't die. It's, so it's one of these newfangled, because it is a newer concept that's becoming more regular, I guess. Um, right. the, you can't die. It's the side scroller. The the kind of twist is that it's two dimensional, but you can rotate the camera around 360 degrees. So every time you hit the trigger, it turns the camera 90 degrees, and it's still pixelated and side scrolling, but it kind of scrolls around that world. So basically, it's a bunch of wireframes built around a 2D platformer. Um, unlike Paper Mario, you can do all four degrees of rotating, not just two degrees. But again, it didn't really offer that much. So I need... If you have not played this game yet, please listen to what I have to say about it before you start playing. I approached the game wrong, and so did most people, I think. Because if you look at the Metacritic score, we we talked about this before... um, Reviewers gave the game a pretty high score. It's it's in the upper 80s, which is very good for Metacritic. And the user average score was in around 60 or 65, which is usually opposite. Usually the critics will smash a game and the fanboys will come to its rescue. This is one of those rare instances, very rare, where the critics loved it and no one else is really, you know, whatever, buying into it. The thing is, I didn't approach the game the right way. And you have to approach the game with a certain mindset or you're not going to enjoy the game. And that mindset is old school gaming. Now, I had read that before I played the game, but I thought old school just meant it's a side-scrolling platformer. Oh, yeah, that's old school. Oh, yeah, the pixels are big, so that's old school art. Oh, yeah, it's kind of like chiptune music. So, yeah, that's the old school. No, it's an old school gameplay. So if you remember games like Maniac Mansion and the original Legend of Zelda and lots of other games... Two very similar games. Of course. Well, But they're similar in that there are puzzles that you really can't figure out very easily on your own. Like in Zelda where you have to push against a wall and just keep pushing until it randomly lets you go through it, you know? Yeah. Uh, but there are games with very subtle clues like Maniac Mansion and... Did you ever sit down with one of those games, John, with a pen and paper and, like, take notes on the side? 
and take and map out the screen. Yeah, as an aside, this kind of reminds me of Andre's secret web page. Like this is the kind of this is the kind of um of like after school or at recess type game then, right? Where like you talk to your friends and you say, "Hey, did you know that the 151st Pokémon, if you do this, you'll find it." And nobody knows if it's actually real or not, right? Yeah. Like you have to you have to consult outside sources. To play this game as well. Uh, I wouldn't say, but the thing is, you can figure everything out. The clues are incredibly subtle, but you need to go in, you need to have a pen and paper next to you, you need to map stuff out, and you need to draw stuff from puzzles. Because you'll go into several empty houses in this game, and there are charts on the wall. Now, because it's all pixelated, they he relies the the game maker relies heavily on the use of tetrominoes for shapes. Tetrominoes being five blocks, basically like Tetris pieces. Four blocks, I mean. Uh, it's just a uh-huh. four block piece made into one. So they are the shape of Tetris pieces. Obviously, he uses a lot of tetrominoes um, really extensively. Uh, and if you look at some of these walls, it will say this tetromino equals, and it'll have a figure or a number or a symbol. And you need to write that down because then later you could see a bunch of symbols and need to know how to arrange tetrominoes that are actually sitting on the ground that you need to pick up and throw. And you need to know that pattern. So there are other puzzles too that are really subtle. There was a point where I got to where uh, it didn't matter. There was like a, a pedestal kind of. And it didn't matter which angle I rotated around the pedestal, no matter what, on that pedestal, whenever I pressed a button, whether it was jump or left trigger, right trigger, left, down, upright, it would create the silhouette of a shape. And that shape would kind of flash on the screen and then go away. I needed to write down that shape because you need to find those shapes later and then press the button combinations corresponding to those shapes. That is mind-blowing. Is it? Well, it is. It is in the sense that I assume. I assume you had to read. That I had to read that. to know that. I assume you did. I assume you didn't just say, "Oh, the shapes, yes," and then the button combinations. But like that. That to me is. I don't know. It seems like. It seems like either the most convoluted and poor game design when you hear something like that, or it sounds like it's something out of the mind of like a genius. And you're just, like, playing around in his world? Yeah, it is kind of the mind of a genius. And the thing is, a lot of old-school games, like, we're talking NES games, were designed like that. I seem to remember there were some games where you actually had to write stuff down. If you remember Final Fantasy VI, I believe you had you were given clues as to what position to move the hands of the clock to get the chainsaw, right? To be fair, that is also a purely optional piece Oh, absolutely. Of the game. Yeah, and that's fine. But puzzles like that, there were some that were less optional in earlier games. And that right. happens, like yes. in Final Fantasy IV, when you are playing as Cecil and you fight your Dark Knight counterpart, the only way to win is by not fighting. Yeah, and you know what's interesting about that, that kind of philosophy of game design is it's almost, uh, if, you're, if you're trying to make an argument for games as art, it is almost more backwards today where the game designers have to be worried about moving units and making sure they appeal to the largest audiences uh, because back then it was just the game designer saying hey wouldn't it be cool if it was this I don't really care if you get it or not I'm just going to put it like yeah. this in the game 
right? I mean, and like when you think of, and this is a much headier conversation than I had anticipated getting into, but like when you think of art in general, it is it is supposed to be a person or person's kind of vision just put out in front of you, and then you are supposed to then interpret that, right? I mean, that is like at, at the basis, the most general yeah. definition of art. So like it seems like like you could make the argument that games before when they literally were just like one creator or a very small group of creators like design was actually closer but again that was much headier than what i anticipated obviously i am uh an academic <laughs> you're obviously not qualified tell. for any of this um no that's fantastic i i agree with that and this 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 game is not pandering at all believe me it's not pandering and, and I w- Which is awesome. the thing is, though, I went about, I approached it wrong. And I was disappointed because I thought it was a game you can get drunk or whatever and, and, wa- and just kind of run around and jump and some cool stuff will happen. No, like, this isn't just a side scroller. You need to pay attention. You need to take notes sometimes. And you need to get into the game, like, really. And it plays like an old-school game, not because of the buttons you're pressing, but because of the entire mental approach you're taking. And that's why it got such a good score. And after realizing that, I give it an incredibly high score as well. I I, I very much recommend this game to anybody who thinks they can approach it with the right state of mind. Because I I just didn't. And, uh, And that was my loss. Now, to beat the game, you only need 32, like, cube bits, uh, 32 cubes, I guess, um, to beat the game, and there's 64 total. Now, as soon as you beat the game, you're automatically starting, you automatically start a new game plus. So, on the plus side, I've retained all my map and everything, and then, and now, when I decided to go back to the game, I don't have to re-go through everything to find old bits I had already gotten. I do have to go back through and, you know, watch things for puzzles. But uh, at the same time, I don't have to go through and, and do that tedious repetition at all. So that's kind of a plus. And I will go back to this game. I just need to be in the right mindset so I don't know when that'll happen. And I want to take a little break from it because I do want to focus on other stuff. But but I regret that I didn't approach it the right way because um, it was, you know, kind of delightful. Now, when... Uh... I've I've heard that when you when you complete the game, uh, you you acquire some sort of power that trivializes some of the platform. And I don't I didn't know that. I jumped around a little bit when I beat the game, but I I wasn't aware of any new abilities yeah, or powers. I, well, this is just from what I've, I've I've heard. Again, I've never played the game, so uh, I don't know. I don't. I will have to look into it. I may report back on that. I will say the the one um, critique that I have or criticism. Is that you do have a little a little butterfly kind of a thing following you around, uh, like an informant, like there are in so many video games, pioneered by Navi the Fairy in Ocarina of Time. Right, right. You know, you've got that little familiar with you, kind of ha- telling you tips and little hints and things like that. I-, I don't like the fact that that is used in the game because in other video games that use that um, gameplay element or that that uh, you know storytelling element in other games those characters often tell you a lot of information and they like help you solve puzzles and things like that. But this guy doesn't, he, he doesn't really have a lot of useful information. And I think that's misleading. I think going, yeah, you know what I mean? Well, sure. But maybe that's a 
you know, maybe that's a commentary on that particular game system. Yeah, that could be too. That could be too. I, I guess to me, it threw me off the scent of you need to play this like you're in this to play it. Like, like if I were just a character running around a bunch of empty rooms by myself, <laughs> I would think, okay, I need to write some stuff down. But I feel like that little fairy guy it was a safety net and me not knowing how the game is like quote unquote supposed to be played it's following me around and i'm thinking like okay when's it going to tell me where to go on the same token by the same token you need a little bit of direction in a game that's that large and completely non-linear or you'll never know where to go so i don't know i don't know how they could have done it better but but it's a good game, and if you can approach it the right way, like I think you would like it because I know you like challenging games. But I'm not sure how you feel about games with that many puzzles. Well, I I like well I can I mean I can say I like puzzles a lot, and it sounds like this game is not necessarily challenging from a like a dexterity perspective. No, not like a, a, not even a little bit. Right, and when you think, uh, I, I mean, I think to the to the person that is just approaching this game and not doesn't know anything about it, um, you would think, okay, 2D platformer where I have to change the perspective manually, I'll probably have to do some weird changing of that perspective to kind of, you know, make like, make like long jumps or, yeah. or, or uh, awkward jumps. Yeah, or, that's definitely but, where a lot of it's at. Right, right. But apparently that's not the real challenge of the game. The real challenge of the game comes from these puzzles. Correct. Correct. So, I, I, I mean, it sounds, it sounds great. Like, I love a good mental challenge, certainly. Yeah. Um, but this game does not sound like it's for everybody at all. It is not for everybody. And again, you said, like, some art is made by people for themselves. This guy is not pandering. I, obviously, he made it an enjoyable experience so others could enjoy it. But, man, it's... These puzzles are tough. That's great, though. Like, it sounds, it sounds great. Um, so overall, you'd say you should try it if you like that kind of thing. Truly the most helpful review. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's tricky. If you like this game, if, if, you should play if it. If you're patient and you like side-scrolling platformers, it's cutesy, it's fun. Um, my roommate and two or three of our friends said it is the worst game they've ever watched someone play. They said, it, this is literally, like, my roommate Brennan grew up apparently watching his brother play a lot of video games, and he literally said, I, I this is the worst game I've ever watched someone play. Never play this around me ever again. Uh, that's great. That's great. So, um, so, so you, then, uh, you then assumed to play it uh, every time he was around, absolutely, right? Absolutely, yes. Good. Good. Um, but well done. Yeah, so if you, if you have a lot of friends that like to watch you play video games, don't make this one of them. Sure. Uh, it got overwhelmingly re- negative reviews. He said, he did admit, he said, it looks like the game that could be really fun if I were playing it, but watching it, I want to kill myself. So, take what you will from that. Now, as an, as an aside, before I start talking about my game, um, th- there is a movie that you can find online right now, uh, I think it's online now, called Indie Game The Movie. <laughs> and it is a it is a supposedly, and I've not seen this, but from everything I hear, it is fantastic. And it chronicles, it's either the making of Braid or the making of this game. I can't, oh. the making of Fest. I can't remember which one. It might be a combination of the two. Um, 
and it might it might be a, an unrelated game, but the people that made both Fez and Braid are in it. I think Jonathan Blow is the guy that made Braid, um, and then I, I can't remember the name of the guy that made that made Fez. But anyway, they're in the movie, um, and it's it's not a documentary, um, but it's it's not a drama either. It's it's a it's somewhere in between. And from what I understand, it is fabulous for people that like video games. Like it's a it's a it's an awesome insight um, into kind of the way that indie development works, and I guess it's just kind of it's kind of gut wrenching in parts, and it's like the the kind of the drama that can happen sometimes in this video game development. So, uh, just as an aside, since we're talking about indie games, it might be something worth checking out. So, if if you go online, I think it's like a ten dollar digital copy. You get. Um, you know, DRM free, so it doesn't have any digital rights management. You just you you own the movie at that point. I think it's ten bucks. I would just Google it. I think you can find it somewhere. But it's uh, indie game the movie, and like I said, from what I hear, it's awesome. Yeah, I'm actually. And, oh, go ahead. And you know, you you go ahead. Actually, <laughs> I will. Uh, it is it it. There is a picture on the Internet Movie Database page of Fez, and it is Jonathan Blow uh, that's credited on the top. Jonathan Blow is the top build cast. So, I don't know. Did he do Braid, Jonathan Blow? Yeah, Jonathan Blow is the creator of Braid. Okay, so they must touch on both at some point. Yeah, yeah. So, um, like I said, check it out if if you like, if you're interested in indie games or interested just in in kind of the, the way the sausage is made in terms of, you know, video games in general. Um, and I also played an indie game this week that I'll talk about. Um, I tore myself away from Diablo for a little while, just a little while, but a little while enough to download the expansion to the one of the first games I ever talked about on this show, which came out. Um, interesting thing about indie games, there is no fanfare around anything that gets released a lot <laughs> around them, like any news or anything. So like I just woke up one day and I checked Steam and it's like, holy shit, the expansion to Binding of Isaac came out. Oh, to Binding of Isaac on Steam. Yeah, I was like, holy crap, I loved this game. The expansion was $2. And, and of course, I saw it, and I'm like, well, $2, yes, I will take uh, it yeah. right now. So I downloaded it. I downloaded it. And, uh, again, no fanfare or anything around this release. So I downloaded it, and there was no indication of what was new when I started the game. I was like, well, this is kind of weird. Like, it, there's, no, there's no even, like, splash screen that says, you know, welcome to Wrath of the Lamb. You, you, the following are new. Um, so I had to do a little digging as to what was new before I even started playing. And uh, the game had originally about 120-ish items in it. He added over 120 more from what it <laughs> looks like. So, yeah, it looks like basically he at least doubled the size of the game. Um, the the dungeon, which had originally been randomly generated uh two floor by two floor by two floor can now have these other random floors in it. Um, so it really, it really kind of varies up what you end up seeing. It's got a lot of new monster types and keep in mind. So the way this game was, if you, uh, if you don't remember or haven't listened to the first episode ever, which I think was like seven years ago, yeah, this yes. show, um, if you haven't listened to the first episode, this game is a roguelike, uh, which means it's a, it's a randomly generated dungeon at the start of every game that you play. You're moving down through floors, you're gathering items, um, you're killing monsters, and you have one life. So if 
I mean, barring you finding some other weird item. But for the most part, you have one life. If you die, the game is over and you restart the game. Um, from start to finish, a playthrough, if you explore every single room on every single floor, can take about 45 minutes. There's like a secret hidden optional dungeon that you may find when you beat the game that can extend it just a little bit longer than that. But for the most part, like for a full playthrough, it's about 45 minutes to an hour. Um, and you can unlock stuff for further playthroughs as you beat the game. So for instance, like the first time you beat it, you'll unlock an item that uh, that may appear in the dungeon. The second time you beat it, you'll unlock another item. If you manage to beat the game like 15 times, you'll unlock another item. Um, that that was all in the base game. That was all kind of how the base game worked. Uh, like if you killed a certain number of enemies, you'd unlock an item, etc. So <clears throat> that was all in the base game. So I downloaded the expansion, and the first thing I saw on the menu screen was a challenges tab. And I, I will say this game is not easy. Um, roguelikes just in general are not supposed to be easy. They're supposed to. It's supposed to be very. It's supposed to be very challenging to get to the end of them and to beat whatever boss there is at the end, if there is a boss. Um, so I saw these challenges, and some of these challenges are outrageous. <laughs> it's like challenges that are like, cannot gain health. Or, uh, you know, there'll, there'll be another one where it's like, start off, like, blind. <laughs> Good. It's like another one. Yeah, and I haven't explored, I haven't explored um, all of them. Again, you can do these challenges. You're, you're challenged to beat the dungeon with these basic, ha- basically they're handicaps. And we, if you do, you would, I would think, unlock other items. I haven't actually been able to complete a single challenge yet. So that can just give you an idea of how difficult some of these, uh, some of these challenges can be. Um, so that's, that's one of the other things that they added in the game. But the best thing is just all these new items. So uh, if, if you remember, which I'm sure you don't, uh, the... Every item that you get in some way will kind of change the way that Isaac looks as he's walking around. And, and uh, just briefly, the plot of this game is uh, your mom hears the voice of God telling, telling her to kill you. And then you escape to your basement, which is a disgusting land of pestilence and filth um, and with, yeah, inhabited by monsters. And you find disgusting items like mom's tampon. Um, <laughs> right, and uh, you use these items to make it through the dungeon to eventually kill mom, go into mom's womb, and kill mom's heart, which is for some reason in her womb. Oh, I thought there were fetuses or something as a as an enemy or an item. Well, there's a new item in the game called stem cells, and when you get them, it puts a fetus on your head. So yes, there are feti in the game. So, but just the the charming macabre uh, art design is the thing that honestly I love the most about this game. Uh, and the best part is, is these items just all build on each other. So like the, the last time I played, I got, uh, I got an item that gave me these long curly devil horns and turned my character black. Okay. I got, I got a pentagram that Isaac was then worried around his neck. I got toothpicks that were jammed into his eyes to keep them open so like it looked like and his eyes were bleeding oh yeah sure yeah uh and then i got uh, a grail that gave me wings like a holy grail oh, good. Gave me... yeah yeah right like like most games uh and so and so you know you look at your character and it's just this horrible monstrous little child and i mean you, you're you know you're na- like when you start off you're a naked crying child 
like when you enter the dungeon and then this is how I ended up. So um, just the, the art design is delightful. The music, uh, to borrow your word, the music is, um, is really interesting. It's, it's one, one music designer. And I think I mentioned this before too. The, the music got like one best music of any game last year on Kotaku. So the, the composer is pretty awesome. It's kind of a chip tune a little bit. Uh, yeah, chip Sounding music. Um, but it's got some really weird rhythms and like time signatures in it. So like it doesn't, it doesn't sound like a normal, it doesn't sound like normal video game music when you're listening to it. Um, so all that's good. Um, and the thing is, is I, when I was playing the game originally, I probably saw this, I would see the same items maybe every time that I went down into the dungeon. Like you could tell there were a lot of items, but they're, they repeated quite a bit. I have played through this expansion about four or five times now, and I swear I'm finding the most random shit. Like, there is, there are the weirdest items, and it's so varied. And with the new enemies in there and the new, like, mini-bosses and the new bosses, every playthrough is so dramatically different. And when you have a roguelike, one of the great things about just this game type in general is everything's randomly generated. So you can you can literally find combinations of items that will like break the game. And I'll give you an example. There's, um, there's an item called brimstone, which turns you into a demon and gives you laser breath. <laughs> and it's, and it's laser breath that you can charge up. And then there's another item in the game called chocolate milk and chocolate milk allows you to charge up your tears, basically into like a big thing of phlegm and, and fire it out. If you get the two items together, you get this weird charging, like rapid fire laser beam that basically doesn't do any damage, but it's a roguelike, so that could happen. Like, it's, it's just something that, that can happen in the game. Okay. And you have to learn to live with that. And you may get, like, a, literally an unwinning combination of stuff. And then you die and you start over. So there's, there, I find that kind of compelling. Some people would find that horrible, you know, if they don't, if they don't come from, like, an old-school design of video game philosophy like we were just talking about. But I think it's great. Um, because like every playthrough is so dramatically different. But how do you feel about, it sounds like a substantial portion of the difficulty is based on luck more than skill. But it's not because you then, like you have to really, you have to work with what you're given, basically. Like there are these great kind of fuck you moments where you'll kill all the enemies on the screen and you'll have no keys and no bombs and there'll be a, an open square in the middle of the screen surrounded by rocks that you'd have to bomb open. And a bomb will spawn in there or a key will spawn in there and you'll have nothing. And you won't be able to get any items on that floor to bomb open that item. So, but that's just part of the game. I mean, you, could, you can literally beat the game base without any items. You don't have to get anything to beat the game. Oh, okay. Because there actually, like, there actually is an achievement for not getting any items. Actually, there's an achievement for not getting hit the entire playthrough. So by, by default, you'd have to be able to beat the game with your base set of stuff. Um, it's just like choosing to use and being able to use what is kind of given to you as you progress through the dungeon. Um, but again, the, the challenges make an already, endless, to my, in my opinion, endlessly replayable game even more replayable. It just adds a little more variety to it. Um, the items make it make it better, and the freaking thing is two dollars. So if you paid three dollars for the base game, which is what the base game goes for, 
Um, and I've probably, I've probably, I know, right? I've probably put like, I've probably put 15 to 20 hours just in the game, just bullshitting around, playing through it a few times for $5 for, for all of that content for a game that is genuinely fun to play too. I, it seems like kind of like a no brainer yeah, to me. And includes one of the best soundtracks of last year. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I would totally recommend pick, you know, I was sold on the expansion to begin with. You didn't like, I didn't need anything to sell me on it. Right. I would have bought, I would have bought it regardless. But if you liked Binding of Isaac, um, even if you didn't like Binding of Isaac, for five bucks, you should really try out both the base game and the expansion because it's, it's really great. And you call it rogue based? Is that the genre? Roguelike. Roguelike is the, is the genre. Because you've been into that forever. I remember, hell, I remember in like fourth or fifth grade in grade school, you brought over Azure Dreams. Yes, and that actually is that is a roguelike. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I rem- that's how I know what roguelike is because you were into that like, t- oh my god, like nearly 20 years ago. That's really yeah. scary. And that that particular game was is kind of roguelike light, which there are a few games out there uh, that are like this where you are given one life, but uh, you have kind of a persistence that's going on outside of of the dungeon as well, and so you're building on that persistence. And so each time you go into the dungeon, you're stronger. Yeah. But you still have to work your way up, like from the bottom or from the top down. Um, but you are stronger each time you enter. In a true roguelike, you your slate is wiped clean. Okay. At the start, at the start of every single game, and this all comes. This is video game history, but this all comes from a a game called Rogue, which um was is it was all it was all uh, AXI, ASCII symbols. Oh, ASCII, like yeah, whole, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the whole game board was that, and your character was a little, uh, the little at sign. Um, and you would just, and like the possibilities in that particular game were basically endless, but um, yeah, you'd have to, like that's where the original concept comes from, is a game called Rogue, and that's why they're called roguelike games. Well, good. Uh, you know, it's funny you mentioned how much you paid for the downloadable content for that game, it being $2. Uh-huh. Because I want to talk a little bit about how much I spent on down- Wait a minute, time out. Time oh, out, time you're out. undone. If, no, no, yeah, well, you're done because, I'm a, hang on, it wouldn't be an unqualified podcast without some talk about, I'm thinking Final Fantasy thirteen too. You Do you think that's what I'm going to talk about? All right, go ahead and continue. Why would I keep talking about Final Fantasy thirteen two? Well, this is the Final Fantasy thirteen two podcast. This this is unqualified, a Final Fantasy thirteen two video game podcast. Anyway, what are you going to be talking about? Uh, well, it's done. They they finished it. Is it actually Final Fantasy thirteen two? It is. Yeah. No, it is. I hate you so much. All right. So <laughs> so okay. So tell me tell me about it. Well, uh, so here's what they did. So. All right, massive spoilers are going to happen right now, So, but this is the end of the episode, so just stop listening if you're planning on playing Final Fantasy thirteen two. If not, we're good, we're cool, great. So you're saying it's done? Like, the game is over, they've, they've released the ending now? They've released all downloadable content, and the ending is released. Okay. So, at the... All right, so first I'll start with... So the they end Final Fantasy thirteen two with a screen that says, To Be Continued, Right? Which is stupid, yep. but okay, you'll force us to download some, to pay for some DLC. Okay, fine. All right. Whatever. A couple packs, I can deal with that if there's good, good content. So they released the Saz pack, which is you play as Saz in the casino, two games, 
You just play over and over again until you get enough coins, <laughs> and then you get him as a synergist, and he's not even that good. Because no I do one, remember I, yeah. I do remember this. Because no one learns haste, because apparently that breaks the game. Good job. So uh, drop like four or five bucks on that. Great. So a month goes by, two months go by, okay, they release some costumes, they release some weapons, they release a couple monsters in the Coliseum, okay, where's the other chapters? Then the same day, or maybe it was a week apart, but it was very, very, very close in time, they release a snow challenge pack, and you don't play as snow, you actually just fight snow, even though it's the snow side quest, you fight him in the Colosseum, and I believe that's it. I believe you fight him in the Colosseum. Maybe then you fight some other people too, and that's that's pretty much it. Um, very useless. Also, he kills you in one hit. So I haven't quite figured out how to beat him yet. Uh, I will look somewhere online. The one really cool thing about the Snow deal is the storyline, quote-unquote, is Snow shows up in the Colosseum, which exists outside of time somehow, where people battle each other. And if you've downloaded any of the other DLC packs, it shows a special extra cutscene featuring those characters and Snow and your characters. So that's actually kind of funny. Because, like, Ultros obviously has a really funny back and forth with Snow that's really cool. And then uh, Gilgamesh, of course, has some classic back and forth. Um, and, and all of the DLC interacts with each other as well. So since I had downloaded all of the battle packs for the Coliseum, there was actually some cool, fun stuff. There was some kind of fun stuff to watch. Good thing that they spent the 20 minutes it took to kind of generate that for all of that money you spent, right? Yeah, well, you know, and that, that honestly was worth more than the battle because I can't freaking beat him. And so I'm like, okay, they did a Saz pack, they did a Snow pack. All right, what's next? The Lightning pack is the last one. Okay? Or the quest, rather. So they released three side quests. The Saz one has nothing to do with the main story at all. And the payoff is you get him in your party as a terrible character. The payoff for the <laughs> Snow one is I know you get Snow, but really not related to the storyline whatsoever. So they said to be continued, released... $100 worth of DLC, and then released the final chapter, which is really just the one extra chapter. And that's Lightning. How much do they charge? Oh, like four or five bucks. I don't remember. Okay. So, um, all right. So now is actually where the massive spoilers start. Uh, so if you've still tuned in because I haven't spoiled anything, now I'm going to spoil stuff. The end of Final Fantasy thirteen two and so to be continued, um, Sarah and uh, Sora, I'm not going to call him Noel, I'm going to call him Sora. Sarah and Sora are the main characters, and Sarah is Lightning's little sister from the first Final Fantasy thirteen game. And, and she's dead. Sarah. Yeah, she dies. She is fighting with you, you beat the final battle, and then everything is all sunshiny, and then she's like, oh, I time-traveled too much, now I'm dead. And she dies, and a bunch of clouds come into the sky and it seems like the world's gonna end and the main character's dead and Sora's not happy. Okay, great. So we didn't get an additional chapter with Sora. Didn't get anything with Sarah. Did, didn't get... Nope, just go straight to Lightning. Okay. Uh, you fight Caius, who's the, the, ba the, the most fucking generic bad guy ever. Have you... Oh my god. Who does his voice? I think it's the same guy that does the voice of Ansem from the first Kingdom Hearts. He's actually a pretty well-known 
He's he's a very person. well known. I've heard his voice too, but fuck, I hate it. I don't like listening to it. He just sounds like I mean, you, I mean, you know what I'm talking about. He just sounds so generic. Oh, he does. He sounds very, very just villain just generic. So, but not even in a good way. Like there were generic villains in cartoons when we were growing up, and you could tell they all had the same voice. This guy's just like pissed me off, overly melodramatic. Oh, I cannot stand him. And he's a stupid villain, and his sword is idiotic. It's not even sharp. It looks like a giant sea urchin. Yeah, but let's be fair. Final Fantasy has a long history of having ridiculous-looking yeah, weapons. Yeah, but they're sharp, or at least look menacing. Look at Cloud's Buster Sword. It doesn't look like it's razor-sharp, but it's big as fuck. You don't want to get hit by that. I'm just saying. Gunblade? Gunblade was sharp and could shoot bullets. What now? Anyway, all I'm saying is I hate the villain, and the lightning side quest is you fight Caius over and over until you beat him. So here's how it works. You fight Caius and he kills you. Then it brings you back to a menu screen, and you've gained a certain number of experience points based on how much damage you did to him or whatever in the battle. So you fight him again. Okay, you die again. You fight him again. You die again. But this time you level up. Oh, okay. Well, my stats have boosted a ton, and now I have a new class or maybe a new ability. Okay. So you fight him a couple more times, then you beat him. Great job. Well, when you beat him, it restarts the battle, and you fight him again, and you get more experience, and you keep doing that until you level five or six. I'm not sure if this is coincidence or it was the right level or what happened, but when I killed Caius using my limit break or my uh, the feral link gauge, when I beat Caius using my feral link gauge, then he'd be turned into a dragon. And then you had to fight Dragon Caius. Okay, well, he killed me. All right. Well, then I, I go back to the menu, level up a couple times. Okay, keep going. And Now, when you say level up, are your, like, stats growing? Are you unlocking new abilities? Like, what's happening? Your stats are... So so here's how it works. There's no Crystarium whatsoever. It's all linear. You are given uh, six... A handful of different classes. Yeah, six different classes. Uh, no, no, no. It's not even true. You can be... They're not like Commando Ravager or Sentinel. They're different. They're like Warrior, Shaman, Warlock, and a couple other ones that are specific to Lightning in this chapter. Weird. They correspond loosely to uh, the classes from the game. Like Warrior is uh, Commando. Uh, Warlock is Ravager. I don't know why they do it, but they do. Um... And your stats also boost as well. But it's just linear. It's just you level up and then, you know, maybe you'll learn Fyra and Blizzara or whatever for your Ravager class. Or maybe you'll learn Blitz for your Commando class. So, yeah, you'll you'll pick up extra abilities, sometimes an extra class because you eventually get a Sentinel class and you eventually... No, no, you eventually get a Saboteur class and a Synergist class. So you get those. Um, but you have to... You're fighting the same battle. I, I fought the same battle over and over for over an hour and a half. How long does each How long does each battle take? I mean, obviously it takes as long as it takes for you to die, but I mean, how long are we talking? Probably eight or nine minutes. And did you do this all straight? Yes. This sounds like the worst thing ever. Um, It was pretty uninspired, I'm not going to lie. 
Okay, so continue. How does this, uh, how does this so whole I, shebang I, end? So I, I did my limit break on him, and then he turned into the dragon, which crushed me. Okay. So then I fought him again and beat him, but then he didn't turn into the dragon. So I'm like, what? So I fought him again and beat him. He didn't turn into the dragon. It's like, what the hell is happening? So then I fought him again, tried to finish him off using my Pharaoh link, and then he turned into the dragon. So I'm thinking you just have to use your Pharaoh link to finish him in order for him to turn into the dragon. Who knows? So I get him to turn into the dragon, killed him on the second try. Uh, He, like, falls over or whatever. He, like, threatens lightning a bunch. Then Sarah, Sarah's ghost comes, and she's like, you knew this would happen, didn't you? And it's very dramatic. And Sarah dies, still. Hmm. And lightning says, Sarah, I will stay here in your memory and she sits on the throne and turns into crystal. And that's the end of the game. Really? So the end of the game is your main character dies, and the main character from Final Fantasy thirteen turns herself into a crystal. Just to remember her? Yes. I guess. This almost seems like you're punking me. This is... The worst ending in video game history. I, I, that, I don't know. That maybe that's an exact. It just sounds like nothing happens. Like it, like it's bad because nothing happens. The thing is, the game is the game is upbeat and the game is poppy and it's kind of jokey and yeah, it's J-pop melodramatic, like you know, very JRPG melodramatic. But it's got pop music that plays. It has, like, people giggling and laughing. You fight a giant flan. There's cartoony moments. Like, it's not supposed to end like that. And when I got to that ending, I... I, Because I I originally... I downloaded a lot of DLC because I wanted to get all the endings and I wanted to grow a bunch of characters and I wanted to, like, really just 100% it, which no one has time to 100% games these days. I mean, let's face it. Especially Final Fantasy games, especially since Final know. Fantasy X. Especially this Final Fantasy game, which wasn't that good. <laughs> right, I know you disliked it. The later, I mean, all the all the extra content is very challenging, very challenging. Uh, believe me, I would know. Um, uh, but but yeah, I, I, I don't have time for this shit, you know. And my total DLC spendings were pretty high. But I didn't need to. Like, you could just buy the $4 lightning pack, fight Caius 30 times, and then have it be done, and then watch the main character die. The clouds go away in the real world, but, like, there's no closure for Sora whatsoever. He's just kind of, like, there. There's no closure for Fang and Lightning, or Fang and Vanille, who are crystals, still holding up Cocoon. Like, there's, there's nothing. There's no falling action. It's like Final Fantasy thirteen is, I think, an amazing story about six dynamic characters, or at least somewhat dynamic. You know, they have personalities, and they have wants, and they have needs, and it's a story about their journey, and then they reach the end of it, and then that's where they're at. Final Fantasy XIII 2 picks up where Sarah is. It focuses on lightning, obviously, and a little bit on snow, and Hope becomes a major player. Saz is shoehorned in for no real reason, but a sequel is a continuation of their journey. And they get to the end of this game, and in the final battle scene, like, Hope is there, Saz is driving an airship, you know, Fang and Vanille are supposed to come out of the crystal, and instead of providing any kind of closure or continuation or reuniting with Lightning or anything, they kill 
your fucking main character, have your old main character turn into Crystal, and then nothing. Now, do you... Th- are you, and, and you're positive this is the final DLC. This is confirmed, right? Confirmed final DLC. So, do you think they're honestly just setting up another game in this fabula novala crystallum yeah. whatever it's called yeah are, you, are they just setting up another game for that i don't know i doubt it i very highly doubt it and and if they are isn't that kind of bullshit it's complete bullshit i do you want to wager a guess at how much money i dropped on dlc i just on dlc or dlc and the game well the game remember was free for me because i used my amazon.com credit card points Sure. So I paid zero dollars for the game. I'm guessing you probably spent about. Uh, I'm gonna guess twenty five dollars on DLC. Oh my god, that's so low. Okay, so surprise me. How much did you spend on DLC? Forty nine dollars. Oh my goodness. Uh, so had I bought the game new. With tax, this game would have cost me a hundred and fifteen to a hundred and twenty dollars uh, for all of that DLC. Yeah, with all the DLC. Yeah, yeah. Right. I mean, let's keep in mind that we we're strictly talking about DLC here, and you don't need to buy any of this to enjoy the game. Right. And uh, and most of it was worth it. I will say that. I will say obviously some people disagree with the costume packs. But but honestly, the Colosseum battles are fun and they're challenging. And uh, even, I even liked the mini game with Saz, even though it got a little repetitive. I, I the, the the jury is still out on the snow side quest because I don't know how in depth it is. But um, but yeah, uh, I would say overall it was pretty worth it. But had I paid for the game, hell no. And knowing how it ended, like fuck, really? Yeah. It was so disappointing. It was more dis- the real ending was more disappointing than the to be continued ending. Yeah, uh, it's just it's a shame. It's a shame. To, it's a shame to where Square has gone, like as a company that makes games. Um, I think they just they don't make the quality of games that they used to make, and that's it's sad. It's sad because they were the games that absolutely shaped my childhood and my love of video games originally so yeah what are, what are you gonna do i have learned to love new games yeah i i i mean the final fantasy franchise is one of the greatest franchises in video game history but i'm this this is taxing and and yeah. we, we, you can't let it take away from final fantasy 13 because it still is easily my favorite uh, Final Fantasy game post, you know, post PlayStation era. Sure. I mean, seven, eight, and nine are amazing, but yeah, I mean, ten's okay, but really easy. Eleven, no one played. Twelve is awful, you know. Like I, I but I really like thirteen. Not just against the others, but in general, you know. So don't take yeah. away from that. But yeah, thirteen two, just you can buy it used for like twenty bucks now. Pick it up if you want a fun little trip. And maybe get the DLC with lightning, but don't don't have high hopes for the ending. It's depressing. Well, that's too bad. I'm glad we're ending the show on that. And, no, well, I'm glad we're ending all discussion of Final Fantasy 13 too. Like I'm done. We're we, there's nothing more to talk about. 
And you know what's you know what's the saddest thing about it all is that you're one of probably the very few fans that have followed it to the end here. Obviously, I didn't. Right. Um, and I don't think there's going to be enough of a vocal outcry to get anything changed, like to get something more fulfilling. Because it it's just sound like that sounds so unappealing to me. Yeah. That particular ending that you just outlined, that like I certainly don't want to experience that for myself. Um, and I just there's no possibility of them changing that. So right. I don't know. Well, it's it's too bad. <laughs> well, I'm sorry. I, yeah, I really did get pretty down on it. But um, don't worry because the next episode, what I'm going to talk about, I'm so excited about. So I've been waiting for weeks to talk about this game. So teaser. Uh, yeah, yeah, I know, right? And you get to talk about some Diablo three in our next episode, which I know you're excited about. Oh my gosh! So game is game is consuming my life. Yeah, so we're gonna be like on fire. So um, yeah, uh, I hope you enjoyed this podcast, this episode of Unqualified, a video game podcast. I'm your host Cody Goff. Yeah, you can follow. Uh, you can follow me. You don't have to follow Cody, but you can follow me on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> at it's it's at Eat Play Game, all one word. Uh, at uh, at be the uh, two or else eat prepositions. I think we need more dubstep. I think we need more dubstep too. Um, and I'm at producer Cody, but you can find our links on our Podbean page, which is unqualified.podbean.com. That's all I have to say. That's all I have to say too. Thank you, listener. Uh, we need more dubstep.